I, I refuse to take a label, you know. I'm, I'm, my name is Brian, not, you know, Brian the Schizophrenic, like, you know what I mean? People wouldn't have known that I had a problem. They might have noticed something a bit odd about me, all right, but they mightn't have been able to say, no, that guy's mad, you know. Like I say, I kept a lot of it to myself, you know. And the way it is nowadays is that because I'm so much surrounded by the whole area of mental health, I find it kind of hard as to support my position in, like, somebody who's driving a car home from work and they're listening to this, this guy on the radio and going, what the hell is he talking about, like, you know? <laughs> But um, no, I I understand where what it's all about now. You know what I mean? At least I think I do. Anyway, I'm not blaming. I, I'm not blame. I don't blame people um, whose families don't understand. I don't blame the families because it's just something which just isn't talked about, and isn't um, in the in the arena, the broad arena. It's it's just it's just part of of life. Hearing voices, part of psychosis. All of these things are, they can all be helped by talking and listening. I know medication has a role to play as well. I'm on medication myself, and I know that it does help me. But there's so much more in my life besides medication that keeps me together and keeps me sane. I have my family background. Everyone is okay there. I have my girlfriend, her family, uh, all our friends. Um, the people that I work with in, in our Shavsi network is some wonderful people working with. People are really should be the priority. If you're, if you're such an unfortunate person that you don't have many people in your life... It's terrible. You know, it can lead to all sorts of problems, you know. People get very isolated, especially when, th- when things go wrong for them. It's, it's even worse, you know. People just don't want to know. Don't, you know, stay away from him, you know. He's, he's, there's something wrong with him, like... Like the expression goes years ago, jungle is rough. You know, that's what people used to say, you know. Jungle is rough. Because it is. But there's more to life than jungle. <laughs> Thank God. They always summed up kind of thing that I thought punk was all about, which is basically a kind of a two fingers to the status quo at the time, I suppose. It's uh, Hush, it's an MMA club. We play every different type of music. We've got, we've had reggae nights, we've had punk nights, we've had um, rock and roll, we've had drum and bass, house, techno, and on and on and on. Just all different types of music. Something for everybody, basically. But the ethos really been behind the idea behind Hush is, is to get music that isn't being played an awful lot on the radio, get that played in the club. And we, we love it, you know, we have a great time there. All right, Yeah.
The first time I went to London was in 1984. Um, I went there for a summer. I was in college at that stage. Uh, it was great. I loved it. it was a great time over there. Great music. Great um, outdoor activities. You know, it was, I just remember it as being a sunny time. You know, I was working on a building site at the time doing the the, the labouring job. You know, and uh, coming home covered in dust and mucking. Mostly, I remember the, the 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 music and the colour and. You know, I was big into. I was in the middle of art college at the time, and I was big into bright colours. And um, this girl I was with from Kenya, she had given, she had a lovely yellow T-shirt with uh, a giraffe and Kenya on the front of it. I used to wear that with these yellow and green striped pajamas and red boots, and I was like a flag walking down the road. You know, I was mad into colours, like all different types of colour. You know, it was lovely. And we were down Camden one day. We were walk, walking past this shop, uh, wool uh, wool shop. And I saw this wool out in the um, in the window, is in what they call it, in a hank. It was basically in a loop, and it was dyed in different sections all the way around the the loop, so that when you unravelled it, it all these colours, bright colours, mixed together. So I saw this. Oh, Jesus, that'd be perfect, you know. So I said to the girlfriend, "Can you show me how to knit?" So I said, "I can show you how to do plain and parallel, just the basics." I said, "Great, I'll do that when I'm in and out of work, you know." So there I was in my uh, navvies covered in dust and all the rest of it, doing my knitting on the tube, going into Covent Garden, you know. I said, I must have got a couple of weird looks, you know. But I knit the jumper and she put it together for me, but I still have it. I think, and I always hold on to it because it reminds me of that time, colourful, bright summer in London. It was great, you know. When I went back in 88, it was it was different. I, I suppose I had a different experience. I hadn't been, I hadn't been doing drugs in 84, you see. I, I actually remember the... the the early days of the acid house scene from eighty eight to nineteen ninety, and it was, it was, um, it's a bit like when punk started. To be there at the beginning of it was amazing because you had this feeling that there was something really new, something big was happening, you know, and you were part of it, and you knew that you were part of its inception, that it was something that was actually forming or happening around you. And unfortunately, really, the drugs came along as well. It took a while, it took a few years for it to completely unravel, but it did actually completely unravel. It just was, I had to go and start from right from square one all over again, you know. I lost everything, including not just my job and my career and everything, but, you know, respect from people and um, understanding as well. People didn't know what the hell I was at. I think I didn't know who I was or where I was coming from. The one thing that kept me going the whole time was the knowledge that my parents were, and my family, brothers and sisters, were at home in Ireland. You know, and I knew that no matter what happened, I could always go home, you know. And that helped me so much. I mean, there was so, so many people I met that I didn't have that base or didn't have that, that place to go back to. And what do you do then, you know? You um, you end up getting lost or surviving one day to the next, but kind of isolated, I suppose, in a way, you know. Just so. Michelle? This is Peter. You know, the, 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 the lights went out, basically. The whole thing turned dark. The music got dark. The drugs got dark. The vibe got dark. Everything was just pure, you know, nastiness. Like, you know, and it was... You had to be careful with it, you know what I mean? You, you could get quite um, lost in the whole thing, you know. And also... Something started, um, happened that I would never have envisaged, envisaged. I actually started to hear voices. And by that, what I mean is that 
I was hearing things um, in my head that didn't seem to be coming from me, they seemed to be coming from somewhere else, and I wasn't sure where, and I couldn't quite pin down how this was working, how this was happening, but I certainly got very paranoid. I thought that there was cameras in the room, that there was microphones, that that people on the TV and on the radio, etc., were referring to me. And I had this dialogue going on with these voices um, all day. What I actually thought is that um, there had been a, a, a sea change with people in the respect that they had um, become tele- telepathic. People were communicating now through telepathy. It seemed like that all around me. It seemed that where I was and what I was doing, that everybody there was in on it. So I kind of went along with it. But surely um, everybody has an, an internal monologue or uh, talks to themselves in some way. But this kind of s- stepped slightly to one side of that so that it was more independent of you. I mean, some people would say that like um, hearing voices is just generated by your mind, by your brain, because of whatever reason, sometimes a chemical imbalance or whatever. Um, but for me, I found that... Uh, it was something that really, really overwhelmed me, that really took up so much part of my day and, and so much of my efforts. It was there all the time, and it was very intense. And it reflected where I was living in, in the east end of London as well at the time, which was quite, quite a, can be quite a heavy place at times, you know. You know, it was so different from what I grew up with, like, in, you know, where I came from. I was kind of lost in there, you know. And that was 15, 14, 15 years ago, roughly around that time when it started. And still there today, I still hear voices now. Jungle is rough. Are they there all the time? Yeah, the voices are there all the time. They're there now. Trying to trying to represent them and me as best as I can in what I'm saying, but it's so hard to describe, you know, to put it into words. It's very hard. And if they're there now, just what are they saying? Well, they're just they're on edge because. When you talk about this, there's so many different people looking at it from so many different angles that you're bound to offend somebody or bound to, um, you know, alienate somebody. And what I try and do is, is have an open door policy where anybody can come in here um, <clears throat> and we can, we can work our way through it, you know. But um, sometimes... Like I, I, I feel out of my league, or I feel vulnerable, or I feel like I'm on the edge, or not in control, um, and that's uh, <clears throat> and that's uh, um, that I'm not representing the people that I should be representing properly, you know, because they're good people, they're very good people, like. Um,
I went to a meeting of SI, Schizophrenia Ireland, out in uh, Ennis one night, and Michelle was at the meeting as well, and we got chatting, and she said... Uh, Three o'clock in the morning. We, we, we ended up at this house party. Michelle was up in Ennis from... Michelle was up in Ennis for most of the time, yeah. and I was uh, in Limerick, and um, so that's why we probably didn't meet sooner rather than later, you know. Yeah. But um, when we did meet, we suddenly realised that um, we had a, a common bond as such. You know, we were very lucky. We realised how lucky we are as well to have each other as a couple. So when I was just hard to do the wash up. <laughs> well, when I first met Brian, um, it was Tim actually in the club. He's Brian's best friend. And um, I, I was watching Brian. I said, he's too good-looking now. There must be something up with your man. Like, he was actually dancing with a gay friend of mine who kept coming over to him because Brian didn't know what the story was. <laughs> so I was trying to divert your man, my gay friend at the time, to, you know, to sort of, you know, calm down. He's not into you, like, you know. Because I was watching him for myself. So he had his mulberry, um, mulberry shirt on. He had a mulberry colour shirt. He had his brown jacket his mother bought him. Um, his black pants and his black shoes. And I thought, boy, he's nice. I, I kind of like him, you know. I was kind of making an angle towards Brian. But the gay guy kept butting in between, you know, and I kept dragging him off, leaving him on his mind. <laughs> but anyway, I says to Tim, I says, uh, they all going off to a party, Tim, so I had mine and this fella in there. So uh, I said, are there any chance you ask Anne-Marie, you know, could could I go, like, you know? So Tim went up and he asked Anne-Marie and he said, that's grand. But I was saying, um, you know, they're not going to bother with fellas now at all. They're only bad news. They're dirty shower. They're all gets, you know, I'm well able to stand up my own two feet. Nobody's going to get my heart, like, you know? So anyway... Brian goes out in the front door. I thought he wanted to go in the front seat, so I was like, yeah, he's a typical fella. So I uh, I, I, pushed his hand away and I said, I was like, shag off James Bond and we'll have to open up my own door. <laughs> and he was like, I was only trying to open up the door for you. And uh, so I was like, I kind of, I look back and it's, it's a look I get after every time we have an argument going... Jesus, I hit the jaws off him for nothing, like. But it, the lights of St. Peter's and Paul's were shining down into his eyes and a uh, cathedral outside Brendan's at 3 o'clock in the morning. And uh, he, I just got that look and I said, I could never hurt that man. So um, I went back anyway and we were sitting up at half seven in the morning drinking tea, smoking fags, <laughs> singing Hot Tramp, I love you so. And... I remember Brian turning around going, is she for real, like, to, to Tim? But I knew it wasn't an insult, you know. I knew I, 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 he was impressed. So I went up and got a cup of tea and I smoked a major and looked out the window and the sun was shining in and uh, I said, jeez, you know, your man's kind of nice, like, but he won't stick with the likes of me. So I poked him in the shoulder with the finger. I said, do you want a cup of tea? He said, that'd be great. So I brought him in a cup of tea. And uh, he said, today we're going to have loads of fun. He, he put on 10cc, I'm not in love. That's that's our song. And uh, he said, do you like this song? He said, I love this track. So he put it on 10cc, I'm not in love. And uh, so I kind of stayed for two weeks. <laughs> 
Teresa, you have to go back to Ennis. Like, so, because so I, I had no clothes. Like, I was wearing all these clothes from the 80s. And uh, so, <laughs> so he said, you have to go back to Ennis. So he's folding away what bits of clothes I had, and he put them into a bag. And he said, um, he said, you know what the voices are after saying? I said, no. They're saying they're really going to miss you while you're gone. So he folded my clothes and I had duff tennis. What Michelle was saying there, the voices say, would say that to you. That you mean give, 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 the, give, um, give Michelle their approval, is it? Yeah. Yeah, definitely, yeah. That happens a lot. And friend, Michelle has her friends inside us like I do. There, there are a lot of women and men uh, that um, admire her and trust her. And it doesn't come as any surprise to me that they are like that because I, I know that to be true of her. I know she's a totally honourable person. Very loving, very caring, very creative. A lovely, lovely person. And I'm so glad to have met her. And like we, we, we work well together as a team. You know, we have, we both have our strengths and our weaknesses. And it, you know, between the two of us, it's there's nothing like it. You know, having having a team like that. You know, everything everything comes from that. I think. You know, if we go out for the night, we go out. You know, to have fun. The two of us. You know. And well, usually you go up and you have two points. I have a point to milk and take out the knitting. <laughs> I do. I, I love knitting. She has a point to milk and the knitting. Yeah, and all I do is knit squares, like bags and bags. I was talking earlier on about how the jumper, you know, the colourful jumper I got in Canada. Oh, yes, yeah. How I got taught knitting, playing in pearl. (laughs) Yeah, it's very, it's brilliant for the... the, the, the That's the only thing I ever knit, but that's, you know... But the jumper is amazing. Can I see it? Oh, yeah, I I was just about to bring it up. It's it's worth having a look at. It's amazing, it's absolutely amazing. Isn't it gorgeous? No, I thought it was colourful. It is, isn't it? And that is the very first thing he's knitted. Now you wouldn't get that in a, like likes of a shop for carry down or anything, would you? No, sincerely, you wouldn't. Isn't it gorgeous? Isn't it absolutely beautiful? Will you describe it for me? Um, Twenty-two years old. What? Uh, Nineteen eighty-four. Or just tell me the colours. A, a village of. Welcoming aura and and trust and kinship and togetherness, and and bright, angelic, flow of an autumn, summer and winter spring dream. It's 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 gorgeous. I'm mad about it. I, I'm absolutely mad about it. Now that doesn't describe it fully. Um, I don't think that does it justice at all. But it's a tapestry of um, enlightenment. How many different colours are in that? Oh, there's 20. at least 20, 27. You've got your reds, your yellows, your greens. Blues, your, your greens, your, your oranges, purples, mauves, lilacs, cerise, vermilion, crimson, jade. I'd love to wear those. Aqua. I'd love to wear those those colours now, but Why don't being you? forty-two years of age, I don't know. <gasps> it was alright when I was in art college, you know what I mean? Now I dress very conservatively. I have my my combat trousers and my my t-shirt and my boots oh, and that. And green. Just. No, I. Why colours. don't you wear it? You, you should wear it. Really, you should do well, it. It's dusty that. anyway. It'd make me sneeze. <laughs> well, I washed it. Did you? Yeah, I put conditioner in it. I hand washed it. 
But I, it's been in the wardrobe a long time, but I want you to wear it. It's gorgeous. It's absolutely beautiful. From 1984. Yeah, 22 years ago. Amazing. And the thing is that my my dad um, recently got on to me about the junk I have up in their attic at home, um, and he wants me to go up there and he wants me to go up there and uh, decide decipher what I want and what can be thrown out, you know. And that was one of the things that I definitely want to hold on to anyway. Well, There's a few other bits and pieces as well. Some stuff you brought down, and I said, no, you're not drawing them out. Beautiful peaches and um, sky blues, true blues, real true blues, and um, lovely greens and canary yellows and sulphur yellows, and, and they're absolutely beautiful. Um, I wouldn't feel comfortable walking downtown now wearing that. Not, not now. You feel vulnerable wearing it? I just, I think it's, it was a phase I went through, you know what I mean? And I, I'm delighted I did, you know, but uh, now it's, as you say, more muted colours, khaki and blue and dark blue and stuff like that, black. But that's it, but... Well, like, when, when Peter asked me earlier on what do I remember about 84 in London, I said, I remember the colours, ah. the colour for the clothes and the summer the and the neon, sun. There was a lot of neon. No, that was later on. Yeah, what was it? Yeah, it was more in the, the acid house days. It was definitely neon. Yeah. It was something new. It was something that was happening. It was something that was going to have a long-term effect. And it was a turning point in a lot of ways for music and particularly the attitude of people towards drugs. Before ecstasy came along, people wouldn't necessarily... They'd smoke a joint, whatever, but they'd stay away from things like coke and speed and stuff like that because it was meant to be very debilit- very hard drugs, dangerous, you know. But then ease came along, and it, it seemed so good at first. Everybody was absolutely on a total high about the whole drug, you know, and what, what was happening in the clubs with the music and stuff like that. Whereas I was actually there in the thick of it, on the at the coalface, so to speak, you know, I saw music and dance and clothes and art and a whole lot of all of that as being one way of living, you know. Unfortunately, the ecstasy um, and other factors um, led to me ending up in a, in a not a very good frame of mind. And I don't, I, I hate, I, I don't really want to be putting down drum and bass or jungle or, or any of the things that happened at that time, even the drugs, whatever, because they had a role to play. But the only thing I'd say is that, you know, when you're doing hard drugs like ecstasy, speed, crack, whatever, coke, all that, you really need to be very, very careful that you don't go over the edge, you know, and it happens so easily, like, you know. But that's so hard to determine when, how, and what state, because... The best thing to do is not do it at all, you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Do you know what I mean? And it's only when you've done it that you realise, jeez, I didn't really need to do that, you know, I probably would have enjoyed it in a different way had I just done it without the drugs you know so I drugs drugs they just added a different dimension to your experience you know but it need not need not necessarily be a good good experience I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't do any hard drugs again because I think it, uh, with my diagnosis and with the voices and all the rest of it and stuff like that you have to be careful you know you have to be you have to watch yourself you know
the monument is directly across the way from the monument. Directly, see, if you make a line directly coming from O'Connell's shoulder down there, see the blue door? Yeah. With the red car outside of it. He was actually up the stairs there. Number two, was it number number seven, wouldn't it be? Yeah. Seven, the question, yeah. I've been here for seven years. Yeah. Great address, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Seven This is uh, Daffy's. This is where Hush happens every now and then. And uh, tonight we're going to be doing punk to funk. Bit of everything. We've uh, been recording recently all day and stuff to do with the mental health care and all you know, the voices and all that sort of stuff as well, you know. And um, it's basically about myself and Michelle, our relationship and how we get on and we're doing okay, you know. So just want to include this piece here. You know, basically showing how like we get on with it, basically. You know, even though we have uh, a diagnosis, whatever. You know, that we can. It's, it's not going to stop us from getting on with our life. You know. Coaster ride sometimes, you know, it's just very intense. But lots of times, I mean, lots of times it can be great fun as well, you know. And um, fun in a way that, like, we, we when things when things die down a bit, when the tension isn't there, we have great fun, great time for each other, you know. But it's when when things go wrong, it causes um, a break of communication between me and the people around me. So the they are, they're all experiencing different things and then we come back together back to a base somehow as well we always seem to come back back home to the house you know sometimes I, I, I guess um, I get very I feel very like it's very dark around me you know what I mean um and there's other times then when it can be very enlightening. You can really feel absolutely heightened, you know, spiritually, I think. Sometimes I've come across situations where I'm absolutely powerless because I, I don't understand what the people are going through, what they've gone through. I, I can hear them saying it in words, but I've never felt it. I've never experienced such terrible depths of, of, of pain, you know. And I have, I have to kind of... Um, keep myself together in the respect that I don't um, I don't, I'm not presumptuous in any way of what the voices are going through I have to respect them for their it's like as if we're all living in the same house you have to get on with your neighbours you have to get on with the people in the room next door it's it's and it's our house and it's only one of many houses and you've got to get each house has to get on with each other as well 
Well, I'm just another person in the house in that respect. Is it your house? It's not my house, no, no. I wouldn't... I don't want it to be just my house. I want it to be our house, you know. People, everybody is vulnerable in a sense in there. We're all in this together. And we all realise each other's weaknesses and strong points and all the rest of it and the closeness that we have. But we also recognise that we're some, in some ways in danger. You know, it's a dangerous place to be. Some of the places that I've been and where we are, you know. Um, some people might see them as being torturous. But I think that perhaps maybe the voices that are around them are in a lot of pain and have a lot of uh, problems themselves and need help. So it's kind of a two-way thing. At one stage I stopped uh, fighting against the voices and said, I don't know, sit back and I live it. And I did that and I do live it and it works, you know. And when you're, when you're saying you've got problems that they come to you with or to talk to you about, what type of problems? Spiritual problems. They're trying to stay away from evil. And evil is a funny word because that conjures up all sorts of different ideas. But basically a black, um, dark, empty, cold, frightening, alienating place where any of us could end up in at any particular time. No, you can't judge somebody uh, for being good, bad and different for the experiences that they're having spiritually. It's, it's, it, has a, it has a law of its own and a world of its own and it works on a particular agenda, a particular path. And reality is only as an aside to that for a lot of people. Some people are far more um, concerned with the inside than they are with the outside. It's one thing I learned over in the East End in London is that... Um, it's almost like the the other side of the coin, you know. It's it's it, it, you only have one coin. You have a an A side and a B side, and you know it's um some people are on the A side for a while, then back to B in and out. Some people are completely inside and don't really bother with the reality at all. And I was there in that place for a long time, and. You know, it need not necessarily be. It's 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 just like I say, jungle is rough. I mean, it's a rough neighborhood, a rough place. If you were on the inside, what does that mean? If you stay on the inside, well, basically, it means that you're not dealing with what most people would call reality. You're dealing with the voices you hear. Whereas, if if you're in reality and you're talking about like I'm trying to do now, trying to put that into words, it's very very hard. And people sometimes, they don't want to be sitting down trying to explain something to somebody. They either feel it or they don't. If you don't feel it, well, then you're not in. You know what I mean? If you do feel it, you are in. Deal with it. Do you know? It's funny, you know, I have this kind of two, two, two ways of looking at it. I'm taking this medication to stop the schizophrenia, but I don't really want the voices to stop. I just want to be more comfortable with them. I just want to have a better relationship with them, you know? So I don't know. I mean, the, voice, the, the voices, I mean, I don't know even what to even call them, the voices. I, I can't think of any terminology other than that, but, you know, these are my friends, like, you know what I mean? These are the people who, are, who stood by me for years and years to rough, thick and thin. And they've been pretty, pretty blunt with me and pretty hard with me. And like the expression goes years ago, jungle is rough. You know, that's what people used to say, you know, jungle is rough. Because it is. But there's more to life than jungle. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Well, uh, uh, well, just before I totally, before I just totally alienate all the, uh, the drum and bass massive, or the jungle crew. Um, no, there's there's a lot, there's a lot of great great times in there as well. Yeah. A lot of real kind of heart wrenching stuff, you know. When you just 
crying or laughing or you know so much happening over the years like this it's can't dismiss it you know you can't can't forget it First time? Aye. Two months of it? Three months? Three months. Or Three months, yeah. What are we now? Start of March. Second of March. Yeah. And what I like about this time of the day is that even though the sun doesn't shine directly into the the, the, the building, not from this side anyway, um, we've got a, a new modern reflective glass skyscraper opposite. And the sun shines off that and shines straight into the flat. So you'll see it in a while now when it comes around. It's very strange because the, the flat is basically being illuminated by the, the reflection of the sun in, the, the, in that building across the way there. And so you get that, sometimes like this, you get this gorgeous, lovely golden light in the evening. Ideally, myself and Michelle would like to have a house in the country where we had uh, rooms facing north, south, east, west and all the rest of it. From from when I first started talking to you about voices, things have changed. Um, things are always changing with the voices. It's usually so slow that you don't really realise it's happening until it's already over and done. And it does tend to reflect reality in the respect that if something goes well in my life, in reality, it's usually reflected by a positive thing in the inside world or where the voices come from. So from that point of view... Um, the voices recently have been very quiet, but then that's because I've probably been taking it easy. I've been looking after myself, well, getting plenty of sleep, plenty of rest, just taking my time going through what I have to do and, you know, pacing myself. And I find if I do that, that the voices go in tandem with that. You know, they work together. Um... It's not to say that it, there isn't problems with it. I mean, I suppose in its very essence, there's going to be problems anyway because, you know, hearing voices is um, it's probably not something that people would want in their lives, no matter what way it works. But um, for me, I've just had to come to terms with the fact that I have uh, this aspect of my life ongoing and there's no point in me trying to fight against it or to deny it in any way. I actually have to say, okay, this is my reality and this is what my day is going to be like today and that's it, I can't change it any more than that, you know. Um, and as I say, the voices tend to go along with that. If, if for example, about doing this programme or this interview, um, I would have asked my voices, what do you want me, is there anything that I want them to do or to say? And they would kind of go, no, not really, you're, you're doing it anyway, you know. So, um, but 
and that's understandable and that's I mean I probably if I was given the opportunity to get rid of my voices completely I'd probably think about it and I'd say yeah I think I've done enough with it now you know I think I've brought it to I've gone forward with it as much as I can when you were saying if you got the choice and they could go away you would like them to go away yeah that's, is that for peace and quiet? Yeah, I, I mean, I just want my privacy back, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't have my privacy. As, as I say, I mean, you know, myself and Michelle want to be intimate, we're going to have to share that space as well, and that's very hard, you know? It's difficult. When I met you first in the station, and then did your voices, would they have commented on me? Uh, not that I remember. No, I don't think so. Why do you think that's a question you'd be asked? Presumably, the, the voices know that I'm here. Oh yes, definitely. Yeah, I mean they're they're they know Michelle is here. We're here. They're in tune with everything that we're doing. You know, they're 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 may as well be here. Like, you know, in fact, they are here. Really, uh, as I say again, you know what happens in reality is reflect, reflected with the voices. So when I met you that day in, in the train station, um, there was nothing really, you know, certainly not... Uh, I suppose maybe in some ways they would have... Uh, uh, like, I want to put this now. Sometimes my voices uh, tend to guide me in, in towards different things. And also they t- seem to tend to guide people towards me as well. So in some ways, like, say for example, it's quite possible that my voices heard about you or became aware of you and decided that maybe this might be something that would be good for me and for you and for the good of them as well, the voices as well. So from that point of view, they possibly... How did you find out about me anyway in the first place? Was it Somebody sent me an email. Actually. An email, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you could look at it two ways and you have to look at it two ways. Um, somebody just by accident came across this hearing voices Ireland and decided that you might be interested or another way of looking at it is that it was destiny that it was the voices that were planning this and this was their way of putting it together and it's them I have to be thankful to and it's them that I have to respect for not so much drawing attention to me but drawing attention to what we're doing as as a team you know and they talk about the voices talking about we've got to get this guy on side that's something that they talk about sometimes, you know. Can I get this guy working with us, you know? And it's not so much you, it's the people that is with you. You mightn't hear voices, but there are people with you the same way as they are with me. You might be aware of their presence, but I, I can see them. I can see them out of the corner of my eye, and I can hear them sometimes in my head, you know. They're just, you know, it's nothing to be alarmed about, it's just people you know, you know. Like to me, Brian's experience is a gift. He, his whole life is a gift. His whole voices, his whole inside, as he calls it, is a gift. Because unfortunately, for a lot of people in the world that doesn't see schizophrenia, for people who hear voices like Brian and like so many others, the inner spiritual base of the drum that Brian is drawn to with his natural rhythm of drum and bass here and voices and he, he's a pulse you see and you see that's a gift that's a gift and they can call it schizophrenia but I think it's a gift 
I really do think it's a gift. This isn't a byproduct. This this is this is a gift. So that's no fault of me. <laughs> I find, I'm, I'm a bit um, reticent about calling it a gift because so many people out there are tor- so tortured by voices and by schizophrenia and the things that happen to them. For me, there's a spiritual thing, a spiritual connection. No, I'm not very religious, and, and, but I, I would say that I'm kind of spiritual in the respect that I believe that my voices are people that um, are, are very real. Um, whether they've passed on or whether they're still alive, I don't really know. It seems like it's a mixture of both to me. <clears throat> Whatever it is, it's a very powerful force. And I went through that whole situation where you know, I lost my, my um, identity. And when I did get it back, I just realised then how luck, how, how much of a privilege it is to actually have an identity having gone through this. Because most people come out, go through it, and don't really come out the other end. You get lost. Whereas I feel I've kind of like at least I'm near, the nearer light now than I was before. If you enjoyed this documentary, you might like to listen to our other Documentary on One productions. Visit rte.ie forward slash doc on one.